eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Thursday night, September 24th, the year of our Lord 2020. We are loaded tonight. We are jam-packed. This is no longer a drill. It's not even a dream anymore. SEC football is going to be played in under 48 hours. I don't know how much more clearly I can put it. This is go time for us. It's go time for you. We appreciate you watching. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. As I said, jam-packed. We've got several game breakdowns on the show tonight, SEC and beyond. The SEC cranking up this weekend, so we've got the last of our grand season previews. We put Florida out earlier today. It's on the channel right now. If you haven't seen it already, we're doing Tennessee end the show tonight. We got a ton of Vol fans that watch the show. They're ultra vocal, and we are rewarding you with putting your team in the actual live show tonight. Several true freshmen you need to know about. If you haven't heard them already, if you haven't done research over the offseason because you have a life, don't worry. We're going to talk about the ones you need to know tonight on the show. All that plus the Ramen Noodle Express is arriving with our five best bets of the weekend. So, the one thing we ask, don't put it off any longer. If you've been watching but you haven't subscribed to the channel, it doesn't change anything. It's free, too. So just go ahead and subscribe. It changes things for us. So subscribe to the channel and subscribe to the Late Kick podcast. Why? Well, for instance, if you're just subscribed to the podcast, you have no clue we put that Florida video on the channel today. Conversely, if you're only subscribed to the YouTube channel, you have no clue that we did Late Kick Extra this morning, where I talked about all sorts of things, football and beyond. Best concerts I've ever been to? I got a lot of reaction from you already today on that. So, um, yeah, don't put it off. Go ahead and subscribe. We have got a lot to get to, but I didn't even mention what we're kicking the show off with. Colin has been feverishly working on a lower third bar in there to get us ready for, yes, some breaking news. Again, as we sit here at 7.02 Central Time, there is a press conference going on clear across the country on the West Coast. And what's happening in that press conference? Well, the Pac-12 powers that be are looking you in the eye and saying... Never mind on that whole cancellation thing. We're going to have a season after all. Several outlets reporting this. The Pac-12 has made it official. Seven games is going to be the model. All conference games, they're going to start at the weekend of November 6th. There will be a conference title game December 18th. We don't have a full schedule release yet. Now, it's important to note, I think the structure, Colin, I think we read this right. The structure of the schedule is going to be everyone's going to play six games, if you're in the conference title game, that's your seventh game. If you're not in the conference title game, there will be other cross matchups that get played on that Saturday or on that conference championship weekend, kind of like the Big Ten's doing things. So 
All Power Five conferences are now back. Some of them never left, but all Power Five conferences are now back. We doled out our fair share of criticism to conferences that hit the delay button when ultimately we thought it was rushed and unnecessary. But as far as I'm concerned, that's in the past now, because even if you believe folks dug their own hole, they at least had the sense to get out of it. And so now ACC, SEC, Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12, they're all on board, and we will all be playing football by November 6th, November 7th. That's the weekend. That's what's going on in the Pac-12. Now, that's a couple of months away. That's like, you know, Colin, that's a long time away now that I think about it. So we'll have time to talk about the Pac-12. You know, we've got grand season previews for a few Big Ten teams coming up too, but that's still a few weeks away. But I'll tell you what's not a few weeks away. It's just kind of a few hours away at this point. It's college football season 2020 in the SEC. We've done grand season previews all week. We're doing Tennessee's tonight. The mood to start with. We always love to do the mood tracker. The mood tracker is very complicated for Tennessee. It's four words. It is mouth shut, toes tapping. And that is, in a sense, is how you sit in a chair when you've had patience for about as long as you can stand to have patience and you kind of get it and therefore you've shown that you get it and now you want it. You want them to give it back to you. Tennessee fans have had patience for, what, a decade plus now? Uh, they have not been necessarily unruly or boisterous to the point where they've just been kind of rabid and they've been blinded to reality. They've had patience, but they keep getting asked to have patience and now they want results. And I think that's more than fair because they have invested emotionally. They've invested every way you can invest. So they want returns and this is where they want those returns to start coming in. Areas of focus for Tennessee this year. Key elements, potentially key elements that are being overlooked here, ironically enough, because they're being talked about by everyone. Think about what everyone's saying right now in an abnormal year. Well, the teams that have continuity at head coach and your coordinators and quarterback, teams that have those elements returning year to year, well, they're going to be a lot further along than teams that don't have all those elements in place. Tennessee's got those elements in place. Combine that with the fact that they got a pretty good stable of running backs. They got an excellent offensive line. It's just that no one looks at Jared Garantano and has fear struck in their heart. And so I think a lot of people look at Tennessee and they say, well, they're the exception. Even though they have all those elements coming back, we're not scared of Jim Chaney. We're not scared of any of the quarterbacks they have. Maybe the Bailey kid's going to be good, but not this year, certainly. But I'll tell you what it does allow them to do. The style they want to play, which is essentially to be the biggest wrecking ball in college football, that is their offensive style this year, or I think will be. It allows them, even with all the disruptions with COVID, to have a pretty good head start towards achieving that. Which brings me to my second point of focus, and that is just that. What will the impact be of all the COVID-related disruption that they've had? They've had a lot of it. There's never a way to know how many reps this guy got and how much time on the shelf that guy spent. We don't know that. And to be honest with you, even if we did, it would probably be paralysis by analysis. You wouldn't really know what to make of it. But I'd love to see if I could just see Tennessee's all 22 or maybe starting too deep, and I could see a meter next to every guy. How many of those guys have gotten 80 plus percent of the repetition and preparation physically and mentally that they need? I don't think a bunch of them are at 100 percent, to be honest with you. I don't think it's even realistic. Sometimes when you've had a full camp, it's not realistic. But if they got a critical mass of guys that are 75, 80 percent there, I'd feel good enough with Tennessee. No way to know. The huge potential impact, as we've said before and we said in the preview video for the uh, opener against South Carolina, is special teams. I think that's where that could potentially bite you in a big way. Third area of focus, Ty Chandler and Eric Gray. And some of you think maybe not in that order, but 
in whatever order you think it'll be. Those are the two running backs for Tennessee that they are going to lean on, and I mean lean on heavily. Both have to play at their maximum potential this year. They have to avoid injury. They have to stay healthy. It's an ultra-tough task because what they're going to be asked to do is different maybe than what some teams' running backs will be asked to do. They are going to have to gain tough yards. They're going to have to be ultra-physical. They are going to deal and take poundings week-to-week. Ball security at a premium. This is a low-variance this is a low margin for error team this year. They got to be able to fall forward. They got to be able to gain tough yards. Uh, you know, one of these guys could have a 96 yard day on 23 carries and have done everything necessary. That's not necessarily the biggest yards per carry average, but those are the kind of games Tennessee is going to need. So, biggest questions for the Vols here. The first one is Are we going to end up seeing what Jeremy Pruitt has really been disappointed in, vocally disappointed in? And that is a lackluster defensive front. I don't know how, what to make of it, to be honest with you, because we haven't been able to see practice. But if you've paid attention to Tennessee, Jeremy Pruitt has been none too pleased with the production, apparently, from his defensive front in practice. He's been very outspoken about them not meeting his standard. Now, what you don't know is, how good are they even if they don't meet his standard? Or is this sort of kind of a psychological approach that he's taking because he thinks that's the best way to light a fire under that unit? I don't know if it was message sending and you're going to watch him in week one and say, well, that criticism paid off. Or if you're going to watch him in week one and say, boy, he was right. For whatever reason, they are not up to par. And that's going to be a problem for them all season long. Second biggest question, can the offense for Tennessee handle the challenge that's in front of them. Sounds like a very generic statement, but I am speaking very specifically about Tennessee. What they're going to be asked to do defensively, very few teams in America possess the capability of doing. Quite simply, Jeremy Pruitt, Jim Chaney, and that staff are going to ask this offense to be the most physical in the entire sport, in the league and in the sport. That has got to be their MO this year. They do not have the personnel to consistently spread you and cut you to death. What they do have the ability to do, potentially, with that offensive line, with a competent enough quarterback, and with big, physical, powerful backs, is bludgeon you. And that's what they want to do every week, maul you. And that stuff sounds good, but it's not Rambo. It's not a movie. It, this is real life. And you got to do that week to week. And as you exert a physical toll on the opposition, you got to take care of your body and you got to take care of collectively yourself. That's a very hard style of football to play in a normal year. You're playing 10 conference games. Can you maintain that? If you can, I think Tennessee is very capable of exceeding most people's expectation for them. Third question, Jarrett Garantano is going to be the starting quarterback for this team. Is he going to finish as the starting quarterback? Is he going to be the starting quarterback midway through the year? Because I'll be honest with you, when we talk about the style that they're going to play, again, it's not one that's going to ask a quarterback to throw the ball 45 times in a game. What it is going to ask the quarterback to do is get you in the right pre-snap set. It's going to ask you to check properly. It's going to ask you to manage an offense, not turn the ball over. And it's going to ask you to make timely throws, accuracy, pinpoint in nature is going to be pivotal for him, pretty much any quarterback. But because that's a style that I think they feel maybe more than one of their quarterbacks can execute, you got Brian Maurer there. As I said, you got Harrison Bailey, the young true freshman who's probably the most talented out of the group waiting in the wings. I don't know how long the leash is. And I don't think anyone else up there really does. I will say, I think Jeremy Pruitt and Jim Chaney could be quicker to pull a trigger on a quarterback change than the average staff would. Number one, because they've already done it before. With this group, they've already done it. And number two, 
I don't think that the ask for the quarterback position this year is very typical to what you would normally expect in college football. I think it's going to be a very unique style that Tennessee plays offensively this year. All right, Colin, let's talk about schedule scenarios. We've got a strength of schedule that we do all our own in-house here. Instead of predicting all of your wins and losses and just putting it up on a board, which, Colin, we don't have, so we couldn't do it anyway, we like to attribute a toughness rating to every one of your games, 1 to 10, 10 being the toughest, and then we add it all up. We do some fancy math calculator necessary, and we do a best, worst, most likely record scenario. At Georgia, week three, obviously that's a 10-rated game. Bama comes in there two weeks later, that's a 10-rated game. You notice in between there, we've got Kentucky rated an eight. Kentucky starts the season at Auburn. We had that game rated a seven. So why would this be an eight? Well, because of who you're playing them immediately following and who you play them immediately before. That is probably uh, the most fortuitous sandwich position the Cats could ever find themselves in. So that's a tough little stretch there. You get through all that, you got three road games and a four-game stretch, the toughest obviously being at Auburn. Now, I told Colin to put a nine next to the A&M game. That was a typo. It's actually an eight. It fits in the same category, but... Not quite a nine, welcoming the Aggies in at home. And Florida to end the season as a nine. Who knows what any team looks like by then. So they've got two games rated 10. they got four of them rated eight or nine. Yes, that is six out of 10 games rated eight plus. That is not an easy stretch. And for that reason, there's a fairly wide margin here between best case and worst case. The best case record for the Tennessee Volunteers this year are models spat out seven and three. The worst case, the exact opposite. Just flip the three and the seven. Worst case is three and seven. That would involve a lot of injuries, as it is the case for most teams if you go worst case. But what is the most likely? Our model sped out six and four as the most likely record projection for Tennessee. I see no reason to deviate from that. That's essentially winning all of your games rated seven or less and then stealing a couple of them rated eight or higher. I think Tennessee's capable of that. And I think if they can maintain their health, a lot of these teams are going to be beat up down the stretch. And Tennessee is going to be the sledgehammer, second sledgehammer reference on the show this week, by the way, not being used on me this time, perfectly capable of exacting a toll on someone when they're in that state. So for that reason and for those reasons, we're going Tennessee 6-4 and four in the 2020 college football season. Now, that's an entire season for one team. But what about the entire sport? What about the entire SEC there are a lot of impact freshmen that are going to have their names called very early and very often in this conference. You go on 247sports.com right now. Chris Hummers had a really good piece. I think it's still on the front page as of now about impact freshmen in the SEC. Now, if you've watched the show over the summer, if you watch the signing day show, these names may not be new to you, but I think some of them may be new to you. But if you're kind of just coming back to the table, I think all these names are going to be new to you, especially if you don't hardcore follow recruiting. I'm not mentioning some role player types here. We're not mentioning some guys who could see some garbage time mop-up duty. These are going to be studs from day one. That's what we expect from these guys. Let me start you at LSU. And this name, even if you have been partially tuned out, you probably know. Eric Gilbert at LSU is a five-star tight end. At least that's what we classified him as out of Marietta, Georgia. Chose LSU over Alabama and Georgia. It was a big shocker when he did it. This could be the best high school talent I ever saw in person. I watched him play. I remember so vividly. They ran just a basic end around with him one night. And he is every bit of 6'5", 250. He's a huge individual and can fly. 
and they ran an end around, and he's got two defensive backs trying to hawk him. They've got the angle on him. They're probably, he's probably got 75 pounds on them, and he just, boop, just gets the edge right around both of them. And I looked, and I said, it was almost one of those, did that just happen? If you've ever seen the Kirby Smart gif out there where he's got the popcorn, and he just goes, wow. Well, I didn't have popcorn, carbs and whatnot, but that is exactly my reaction to Eric Gilbert then and now. He is going to be a featured player. He will be featured prominently, I would imagine, Saturday night against Mississippi State. So watch him, because not only is he immediately going to be a player there, but he immediately, at least the LSU folks think, gives them the opportunity to sort of maintain a degree of the offensive nature they had last year where they were so multiple and therefore so flexible and versatile with the same personnel packages, being able to go power just as easily as you can go spread 15 seconds later. I'm not subbing. You're not going to have time to sub. I got a guy here who potentially could be an inline blocker and then run a streak down the seam the very next play and be effective doing both. You don't see that all that too often in the sport in general, but especially out of a true freshman. So keep an eye on Eric Gilbert. At Alabama, I have measured my words the entire offseason, but I've only been repeating what insiders at Alabama have told us. There are three of them I need to talk about here right quick, but the feature guy, without a doubt, is Will Anderson. Followed Alabama football for a long time. I have not seen, and I want you to think about what I'm about to say, I have not seen or heard a true freshman get the kind of preseason freshman hype Will Anderson's getting since a guy by the name of Julio Jones out of Foley, Alabama. I'm pretty sure you still remember Julio Jones. Will Anderson, not only listed as a starter, as a true freshman at Jack Linebacker for Alabama, not even a specialist. They don't even think he's going to be a guy who, oh, I put him in in obvious passing downs, but is he a guy who could set the edge? I mean, can we trust him in run support? Yeah, they think so. True freshman. Didn't have a spring either. True freshman comes in there, and not only that, but they think the ceiling is so immense for him. He's a surefire three-and-out type, but they think he's the kind of player that can do things there that they very seldom, if ever, have seen come through the door defensively. But there are two other guys on the defense here, uh, both of whom have a chance of playing a lot this year. Malachi Moore, or Malachi, yeah, Malachi Moore and Brian Branch are both sort of a one-two at their star nickel position. And this is a situation where both of them have the kind of versatility. One of them's listed as a corner, the other is a safety, uh, but they sort of fit well in the mold that Alabama wants as an athlete at that nickel spot. Branch was a four-star guy. He was a top 100 guy out of Georgia. Uh, Moore was out of, I think he was out of Hewitt Trustful. He's a four-star guy too. Malachi Moore's listed as the starter here. Brian Branch is listed as his backup. And that was an area, that nickel spot, this time, mm, like seven or eight months ago, uh, there were a lot of folks who were kind of worried about that with Alabama. And I'm not saying the concerns are alleviated. These guys haven't played a game yet, but they internally feel very confident that those guys can fill the role and there are not the typical vulnerabilities that you would have any more so than normal with plugging in a freshman, albeit an elite freshman there. And they have options. That's the other important part here. Both of them, they trust to play winning football. And that trust I know we throw it around kind of flippantly, that trust word. It's a big deal when you get that endorsement from Nick Saban on defense. Let's move on here. Luke Doty. Yeah, refresh this screen. Luke Doty. Do you guys know who that is? Yeah, Colin, if you're watching on the YouTube channel, Colin is showing you footage of Luke Doty. And you ask, where is he? Well, he's the guy running the ball right there. He's the quarterback. He was a high four-star, top 100 player overall, dual threat quarterback. So 
why are we talking about him as a receiver? Well, it's a very interesting situation at South Carolina right now. They are in dire straits at receiver. Their depth is not good. It is not good at all. It is not SEC quality depth, just to shoot to you straight at the wide receiver position. So they had a quarterback battle up there. They had Ryan Helinski. They had Colin Hill. Colin Hill is the starter there. But they've got enough depth at quarterback, they believe, that they took Doty, who figures heavily into their future at quarterback, along with Stockton, the kid who they currently have committed but is still in high school. But they looked at Doty and said, this dude is such an athlete, and we are so hurting at receiver, let's work him at receiver. I remember when that news started to come out of Carolina camp, and I was in one of our 24-7 Slack rooms, and people who pay attention to the sport every day, they said, did you see this headline out of Carolina? Luke Doty's working at wide receiver. There's an obvious typo over on thebigspur.com. No, it wasn't a typo. They're just working Luke Doty at receiver. So my point there is, you would think, okay, well, he's being put there to provide depth. Well, yeah, obviously, but I'm not so sure that he may not be able to actually get things done for them at receiver too. So that bears close watching. And another guy, Demond Demas, is a five-star wide receiver who is just an incredible athlete. Most of them are when they have five stars next to their name. But with the recent opt-outs, Demas probably pressed into action a little bit quicker and maybe into more meaningful action. Let me put it that way. A little bit quicker than Aggie fans thought that he would. The only knock on Demas, if you listen to insiders out there, is skill set's probably raw. He's also coming back from injury, so he hasn't played since he was a junior in high school. So the skill set is a little raw there in terms of putting the finer touches on his game as a receiver. But when you're talking about being able to run streaks and goes and using them in the screen game, his athleticism is too good for them to keep off the field. And since they're playing Vanderbilt and could probably hang half 100 in the first half if they wanted to, I think you'll see him a lot early and often in week one. A couple of other names, and I'm not going to go in depth here because we could talk about this all night, to be honest with you. Keyshawn Boutte is a receiver at LSU. They are sky high on. We were sky high on him too. Uh, that was a guy they fought Alabama for. They kept him in state. And Jalen Carter, a defensive tackle, could play a couple of positions, to be honest with you, up front for Georgia. Jalen Carter's a guy, I was listening to the Dogs uh, 24-7 guys on the podcast today. You know, They had an interesting thought there. Jalen Carter is pushing for playing time. He's going to get playing time. They got a lot of guys playing a lot of role-specific type um, positions for Georgia. But Jalen Carter someone who not only will contribute as a true freshman, but the added bonus when you have someone that talented is it kind of lights a fire under those seniors and those upperclassmen that you already have in that position room. So those are the true freshmen to keep an eye on in the SEC. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Now, I was recording the Late Kick Extra podcast this morning. That's a Q&A. It's all mailbag. It's strictly in the podcast feed. You will not see it on the YouTube channel. So subscribe to the Late Kick podcast wherever you get your pods if you haven't already. First question right out of the chute, like 5 a.m. this morning, if, if that late. I don't even think Bud Elliott was awake when I recorded that this morning, and he doesn't sleep. He just kind of hangs upside down from his roof for a few hours like a bat, and then he's up at like 4.30 in the morning. But the first question was, where are the upsets this weekend? It's a good question. Because as much as you've heard people whisper about Kentucky and Auburn, as much as you've said, ooh, Lane Kiffin, first game at Ole Miss, who's predicted an upset? I was on uh, ESPN Upstate with Mark Ryan today. You know what my upset was? Florida International over Liberty. Because our numbers say so. I don't know why. Stay tuned for the uh, Ramen Noodle Express later, by the way. But out of the major games, out of the marquee games, I haven't heard a single person that credibly has predicted any uh, upset. I mean, I know you could come in. We had someone predict Ole Miss winning by four touchdowns in the chat. Don't think they'd probably stake any money on that. So let's just go through these games, shall we? Mississippi State at LSU. LSU is 16.5 point favorite as of about an hour ago. I think that this sets up very well for LSU. Now, we're already on the over. We gave that to you the other night. That is an official play for us. I think the pass game, and the passing game for LSU, rather, pass game, my goodness, we'll have a lot of opportunity here. Now, there are a few different ways to think about a season opener, especially when you're replacing a whole lot of guys. And you think to yourself, all right, inferior opponent, got a lot of new pieces, you want time for everything to gel, probably ease into this thing, right? Maybe with some teams. I don't get the sense that's how Ed Orgeron plans on playing this this weekend. Ed Orgeron's very big on messaging. He's very big on sending messages to his team. And I think he's on a, I think all of that staff, to be honest with you, will be on a mission to do that with the way that they manage this game. You can put it on a grease board all you want to. You can do radio interviews all you want to. Here's how you do it. You go straight from Mississippi State's throat offensively, the same style that you played with last year and you put it on the players, and you let the players show themselves if they're capable of carrying out that kind of design and that kind of philosophy, because that's how you decide. That. You don't tell them you can't do it. You give them the opportunity to do it, and here's the good news for LSU. There are a lot of good matchups out wide for them in this game. I think there'll be time to throw. I think there are a lot of good matchups to be had out there. That wide receiver skill on the other side of the ball, I just don't think it's there for Mississippi State. People can talk all they want to. I've seen the quarterback over there, KJ Costello, talking this week about how what we do is really simple, but hey, we're going to go after you. Paraphrasing. I don't remember the exact quote. That's great and all, and I, I don't doubt they're going to score. We took the over for a reason, and I don't doubt they're going to stop trying to score. We took the over for a reason. LSU is going to put a big number up in this game, so I don't see the upset there. Uh, could the upset be in Oxford? Certainly hope not. Florida was our best bet of the week. We got them at minus 12. They're at minus 14 now. That thing rose to as high as minus 15 or 15 and a half. A lot of new for Ole Miss, a lot of disruption for Ole Miss in the offseason in the way of COVID, of course. So I don't think Lane Kiffin trusts either of his quarterbacks right now. Matt Corral's there. Don't know if you can trust the decision-making. Uh, John Rice Plumley's there. Don't know if he can stretch the field for you the way you want to. He's a great athlete. Just don't know if he can necessarily do what Lane Kiffin wants him to do. And Florida insiders, and this is really interesting because they may have a point here. You talk to people close to Florida and you ask them, hey, what do you think about the team? What's the most underrated aspect of the team? Wide receiver. They all think it. Every one of them down there says if there is an area of this team that's underrated, it's the wide receiver core. They've got a lot of versatility in that position room. And 
part of that versatility is good size. They got some big guys in that receiver room. The matchup here, I think it showcased early, and I think it heavily favors Florida. That secondary of Ole Misses, just like I said about Mississippi State, there's going to be a lot of plays to be made for Florida. And so much like LSU and that wide receiver core that they want to establish and that passing game they want to establish, I think Dan Mullen thinks the same thing. And if you go tail of two halves here, I think it sets up very well for them to come out trying to display as much offensive firepower through the air as you've seen them display to this point. Mullen knows he's got the quarterback to do it. Mullen knows he's got the wide receiver room to do it. I think they're hopeful they've got the offensive line to give time and protection. But here's what you also know you can do. If you're Florida, you know you can fall back on that run game. And you know that you've got three guys there that you can lean on. We did the Florida season preview, the grand season preview today. So you can go watch that if you haven't already, because we talked about that three-headed monster at running back a lot. So I say all that to say, I don't see the upset there. I think Florida wins, and I think Florida covers. How about Florida State and Miami? Miami's favored by, some of you thought it was going to be three touchdowns. No, they're favored by 11. They're coming off the big win against Louisville. Florida State is two weeks removed from a, an embarrassing home opener against Georgia Tech. They did not play last week. Mike Norvell missing this game due to COVID, but all of his players are still good to go. You know what history says. I don't need to tell you. If you've paid attention to this sport, if you've ever bet this sport, history tells you that there's some kind of trap. There's some kind of shenanigans brewing in this game, but yet you can't quantify it. You can't dive deeper. And also, the examples that your mind chooses to remember are normally anecdotal because what it doesn't remember is the dozens of times someone's been favored and they've won like they're supposed to. Those are easily forgettable. You remember the exceptions to that rule. Could we have an exception game here? Doesn't matter what the rule is. If it happens in one Saturday, that's all Florida State needs. You've got a do-up spot. you got a do-down spot. It's a rivalry game. So could something weird happen? Oh, I suppose it could. Here's the problem. If you watch the Florida State-Georgia Tech game, and I did until the bitter end, Florida State had a pretty difficult time handling Georgia Tech's front, something that uh, Central Florida did not find themselves saying much. And the reason I mention that is because Georgia Tech's front, all due respect, pales in comparison to the kind of athlete that Miami's putting on the field in their defensive front. And so I wonder, the offensive consistency that wasn't there in the home opener, the timing and rhythm, the playmaking that wasn't there, how is it showing up? I guess crazier things have happened, but I got to be honest with you, I don't see the upset here either. So I keep scanning the board, and that's the nature of an upset. You don't see it coming, but if we see one, at least our model, I was looking at it earlier, if our model sees one, potentially... It's Army versus Cincinnati. That's the one it potentially sees, and it does not call an outright upset. But line on this thing is Cincinnati minus 13 and a half. It's been two touchdowns or thereabouts most of the week. And our numbers have Cincinnati minus nine. So it's a little shorter. Uh, possessions at a premium, obviously, in this thing. And if you're leaning Army, then that is your thought. Your thought is they find an early score, and then maybe they force a turnover, maybe some early three and outs, and they just start racking up play after play after play. Third down conversion after third down conversion. You saw them do it against Oklahoma recently. That would be the formula here. Less firepower in this Cincinnati offense than that Oklahoma offense had. So I can see you putting together the argument. Hey, if they, if they did it against Oklahoma a couple years ago or last year, whenever that was, they could do it here. 
I think, and I believe that Luke Fickle's staff thinks that his run game can be trusted enough to get this done. As a result, I think it'll be a very conservative offensive approach for Cincinnati. I think it'll be a very low-variance approach. Don't necessarily think this one's going to be the most exciting game to watch in the history of the sport. It could be over in like uh, 2 hours 15 minutes. It could be like a Greg Maddox special here. I'm not picking the upset there either. I would, if I had to, take Army to cover, but would not pick the upset there either. The closest I would come to picking an upset is Kentucky over Auburn. And it certainly would be a point spread upset. Auburn's favored by seven and a half. Our numbers have Auburn winning by four. Uh, so we didn't really take a side on the game one way or the other. I don't know how big an upset it would be. I don't know that anyone would label this a shocker. Maybe in any given year in the SEC, yeah, that would be considered a big upset. But knowing what we know, very little home field advantage, which Auburn would normally have and thrive on. And also decided edges on the lines of scrimmage, which Auburn would normally have that they don't have in this game. I, I don't know that anyone looks at this and calls it a huge upset, to be honest with you. I mean, if you're an Auburn Tiger fan, I, I understand you have a different slant on this. But outside of there, I've listened to people all week talk about this game. For two weeks, three weeks, I've listened to people talk about that game. I don't get the sense anyone would be shocked. And I'll tell you, the key here is Kentucky's ability to throw the ball. They got to test whether Auburn's got the pass rush necessary, and they got to test that corner depth for Auburn. Because those are two question marks coming into this season. I don't care how glowingly the practice reports have made it sound. Those are question marks for Auburn, and those are the areas that Kentucky could strike here, and they could, they could go down to Auburn and steal one. So that's a look at where upsets could happen this weekend. As for the Ramen Noodle Express, here we go, Colin. So we already gave you two of them. We gave you one Sunday night. Already talked about that one. That was Florida. We gave you a second one on Tuesday night, and that was the over at 56 in Mississippi State at LSU. Numbers three, four, and five have arrived, and they are ready to go here. The third, we are taking the under at 52 and a half in the Georgia-Arkansas game. The fourth game is Iowa State at TCU. This number in some shops is two and a half. At a couple out there, I see three and a half. Conveniently, we're settling on three, but I want to tell you, we think TCU is going to win the game outright. So we like it at any number there. We've got three, so we're taking TCU plus three. And as I sort of telegraphed earlier, I would call this the marquee game on Saturday. I don't know how you could argue with this. Florida International our good buddy Butch Davis heading on the road to take on Hugh Freeze and the Liberty Flames. Liberty featured twice on the show already, and we were on the money picking them to upset Western Kentucky in week one. Well, now we're going the other way, and we're taking FIU to not only cover the seven and a half, we think there's an outside shot of the upset there. So the five officials for this week on the Ramen Noodle Express, Florida minus 12 and a half, gave you that one four days ago. Over 56, Mississippi State versus LSU, gave you that one two days ago. Under 52.5 in Georgia, Arkansas, TCU plus three, Florida International plus seven and a half. It has been a fun week. Please subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review if you haven't already. Follow me on Twitter at LateKickJosh. I will obviously be very busy talking back and forth with you this weekend, watching along with you this weekend. As you can tell by, among other things, the pace of my voice tonight, I am very excited that SEC football and by November, all of college football will have returned. And I know you are too. Thank you for being there the entire off season. We will certainly be here in return the entire regular season and beyond. So for Director Colin, 
For Jordan on the podcast side of things, I am Josh Bate. Have a great rest of your week headed into a big college football weekend. We will be back here Sunday night, 8 Eastern, 7 Central, with full wall-to-wall reaction to college football week four. Until then, God bless. Have a great weekend. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.